Well, grab a hold of your Bibles, will you? Grab a hold of your Bibles. Pull up Mark chapter 4, page, what was it, 709? I wonder whether you noticed what we were just singing about. Did you notice that one? We were singing about the storm. We were singing about the storm. And guess what? We're going to chat about the storm today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to chat about the storm. Anybody ever been in a storm? This week, been in a storm. Okay. How do you respond to the storm? Of course, there's all kinds of storms, aren't there? Oh, yeah, there's a weather front that comes in just at the wrong time. Woke up this morning and the back window was being battered by the sleet. I was out driving yesterday morning trying to get to where I got to get to. The M62 is closed because people have had a crash in the storm. So I take a detour, head off in the direction of the all that way up towards Widnes, take another turn, and there's more cars because in the storm, a van and a Vox, uh, not a Vauxhall, a Volkswagen Golf, in the storm, they crashed. So I don't know whether you've ever been in a storm. I don't know whether you've ever felt swamped by the storm. And there's different ways in which we can be swamped. If there's a meteorological storm coming at us, there's, it can be swamped in all kinds of things. I wonder whether anybody's swamped right in the middle of their circumstances right now today. Maybe it's one of them silent storms that you're going through and nobody else quite knows. And you can walk in through that door and you can carry it a little bit, but they don't know the turmoil that's going on inside. Maybe it's a storm of your own making because you've made bad choices and you are what the Bible calls a sinner. You've had that turning inwards on yourself and a selfishness and you've nurtured within yourself those things that, well, sooner or later they come home to roost, don't they? So a storm turns up. Am I preaching to anybody today? Okay, good. Thank you. We've got a few people nodding. I'm preaching to people today. Good, okay. Anybody ever been there? Of course you have. So we need to talk about the storm, don't we? And here's why we need to talk about the storm, because Jesus wants us to. In fact, we've been going on this journey, for those of us who've been coming week by week, haven't we? We've been going on this journey of discovery. We started at the beginning of Mark's Gospel, and we've been introduced to this guy who is unlike anybody else. And even if we've believed in him for years, we've been seeing fresh things about him. And Mark's gospel is all about who is this guy, this guy called Jesus, and what is it that he can do? And then it's always been pushed back to us. As we're hearing these stories, it's almost as if he's inviting us in to decide how we should respond to him. Can I tell you that Jesus wants us to talk about the storm? These, these few stories that we're about to embark on, we've, we've heard of him. He's sending out his message. He's started his kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom. And people have been responding, but it's been so slow. Faith is so hard. Last time we heard, didn't we, about how, 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 how his word goes out, the message of who he is and his power goes out, and it's like a seed that grows within you. But have you noticed in your life and mine that it's so slow to grow? Do you feel that? You feel that faith is hard? So Jesus wants us to talk about the storm because this is the first of four stories where there seems to be an unassailable enemy that is coming against somebody. In this one, it's a a storm. In the next one, it's demonic. In the one after that, it's disease. And the one after that, it's death. And in each one of those situations, it seems like there's an unassailable enemy and the people who are around, whether it's the disciples or otherwise, don't really think that Jesus will make any kind of difference. And what happens is there's this unassailable problem and then there's a miracle and then they're left seeing something different about who Jesus is. 
So Jesus wants us to talk about the storm today. He wants us to talk about the problem. He wants us to talk about being swamped. Of course, I don't know about you, but you've asked for a miracle before, haven't you? Of course I know about you. Everybody said, I want to see a miracle. But don't you realize in the Bible that every single miracle that is in the Bible always started with a problem that was crushing people? You get that? We want to see the miracle without having to face the problem. But there's a miracle there for people who know they've got a problem. So Jesus wants us to talk about this today. We're going to see four things about the storm. I wonder whether you can bung them up. Oh, yeah, we'll do them one at a time. I'll tell you what they are in ahead of time so you know. There's four of them. There's the power of the storm. There's the plight in the storm. There's the power over the storm. And there's the purpose in the storm. Okay, we're just going to see that today. So have a little look down with me, would you? Have a little look down with me. Somebody start to read for me. Somebody start to read verse uh, 35. Somebody start with that, would you? Somebody start with that. Who's going to read that for us? Who said? Who said? Who said? Jesus, don't miss that. Because you need to figure out where they land in in chapter 5, verse 1. Keep reading for us, Nathan. Stop there. So this is the mother of all hurricanes. They'd seen storms like this. I don't know whether you know anything about the, the Sea of Galilee there. It's in a depression. It's 700 feet below sea level, but not far off is Mount Hermon, which is 9,000 feet. So what happens is the wind and the weather fronts come over the top and they suddenly drop down and it plummets into this sort of bowl, uh, bowl sort of shape that means that, that just storms can come out of nowhere, wind storms. In fact, if you were to go to the Sea of Galilee today, on the, I think it's the western shore, there's like this restaurant that's up on stilts, and there's signposts in the, in the car park today saying, do not park here if it looks like the weather's going to hit, because this, uh, the, the height of the, the water will raise up by 10 feet in less than an hour. So it was well known to be a storm area, but this one was more than that. This was a furious squall. This was a windstorm. You know that you should be scared when the hardened fishermen in the boat are thinking they're going to drown. And that was exactly what was going on. And we hate it, don't we? We hate the reality of the storm because it exposes our powerlessness. Have you ever had your powerlessness exposed? Of course you have. It's every day. See, I love the illusion that I can be in control of my life and my circumstances. I like to buy magazines or, or, or watch movies that, that, that give me a sense of hope that I can be in some sort of control. But the reality is, and I know you well enough and you know me well enough, to, you only just have to track us through one day of our life to reveal exactly how little power we have over our circumstances. I mean, think about it for a second. You could quickly, if I asked you, name ten things that you would want changed in your life. But if you could do it, you'd have done it by now. You'd want to change your finances. You'd want to change the state of some of your relationships. You would like, want to make that person be slightly less nasty to you. You'd want to stop being dogged by those same old addictions that keep coming at you. You'd want, I mean, some of us would just be happy to change our address, but we can't even do that, can we? See, when the storm hits, it exposes to us exactly how powerless we are in the midst of life. Some of you wish those people who you see every day just would not snarl at you. 
Some of you wish that it was, you're trying to do a good thing. Wouldn't it be nice to do a good thing and it just be slightly easier? Am I just the only one? It's so hard, isn't it? See, the storms expose our powerlessness. So here were the disciples and they had absolutely no chance. And the best they could do in their moment as they're being swamped is just start bailing. Those boats, they found them. Uh, they know what they look like from the first century. They were about eight foot wide, which is the width of this stage, and about 30 foot long. So from about that end of the stage there to that wall, that was the size of the boat. And usually they'd have some, somewhere between 10 and 15 people in there. And the boat is being swamped. In other words, it's beginning to go down. As far as they're concerned, this is curtains. They are headed down. And so they're bailing. How's your bailing going? What do you do when you bail? <laughs> What's your strategy of bailing? What do you do to belay the fears and try to give yourself a sense that you're not as out of control as you think you are? Do you shout loud? That happens in our house. Can I get an amen down there? Sometimes it feels worse, doesn't it, because we're Christians, for those of us in the room who are. Sometimes it feels worse, doesn't it, because we've heard of Jesus' power, and we know somewhere that there is a God of love, but he feels, he feels so far away sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes you just like, you get down on your knees and you faithfully read your Bible, and it's like, look, it's, it's, it's like, it's like the skies are concrete, and you just say, Lord, I just want to feel that a little bit again, would you help me please? Where are you, Lord, in the midst of this storm? We evaluate our situation, and that's what happens, isn't it, when we're, we're struggling with We evaluate our situation on the basis of our potential to be able to either fix it or cope with it. And that's immediately going to make us go dark because our ability to cope with it or fix it are pretty low. So what we do is we just go into freak-out mode. Anybody had a freak-out? And they're never rational, are they, those freak-outs? Jane knows about my freakouts. It seems so important at the time when I have them. Somebody's robbed me chisel, people. Don't you know how expensive that chisel? Everybody stop. Stop now. I don't care what you're doing or how important it is. You will get on task in finding this chisel. And invariably, it's Jane's taken, and the fellas will feel my pain in the midst of this. Jane's taken my chisel to use it to open a paint pot. And some of you girls are going like, what's wrong with that? Some of you fellas go, that's a divorceable offence. Do you know, that's... Only a woman would say that. Okay, it might be your birthday, but you keep your trap shut on that. It's my chisel. Some of you, some of you hear that Bible verse, don't you? Be anxious for nothing. And you're like, how do I do that? In fact, some of you, you say that Bible verse, be anxious for nothing, and it could actually be the strap line of your life. Be anxious for no thing. You see it as a something to be achieved. I'm going to be anxious about a no thing. There's plenty of things in my life that are a no thing, but I'm going to be anxious about them. And you're experts at it. And you go through that no thing and you look back. You know, why was I anxious about that no thing? But as long as it comes around again and guess what you are next time it comes around? Threat level midnight in bits. You see, this is the plight. This is what we like, isn't it? This is why Jesus wants us to talk about this. 
So in our lives, sometimes there's winds that are blowing and there's waves that are brewing and there's difficulties and there's failures. And yes, there's our sin and our difficulty to sense the power of God near to us. And where is Jesus when that's happening? I'll tell you where he is. He's asleep on a cushion in the storm. You stop bothering, don't you? Don't you? Stop reading your Bible. You try to process things your own way. Prayer seems difficult. You don't share your struggle with a Christian friend. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Let's push more into this. Let's let's look at this plight. Look at the plight. So I hope you've got this already. I hope you've come to understand that the storm is anything or everything that causes you to say in your heart what the disciples said next. Who's going to read what the disciples said next? Who's going to read that for us? Would you like to read it for us? You can say no to me if you want. If you say, she said no. Good, well, well done for standing up against it. Rach, you're not allowed to say no to me. That's fine. Don't you care if we drown? Have you noticed how easy it is to have faith when everything's going well? Have you noticed how easy it is to have faith and to trust in the true and living God at the point when you think he's stilled your storm? It's probably worth me stopping at this point and saying there are countless storms that could have hit and were about to hit worse than they could do in your life and you were oblivious to it. I had to slow down this week and start thinking about all the things that the Lord has rescued me from, whether it is circumstantial stuff that could have been worse. And you saw what happened to Jane last year with that accident. But did you notice how close, how close it was for her to have lost her eyesight when she had that accident? Did you see how close it was for her to have shattered her spine? Yeah, things aren't going great right now, but the Lord, I think he put some sort of protection around her. I think about all the storm, the potential I've got as a church leader and a father in a home to shipwreck not just my own life, but the lives of other people, you guys around me. And the Lord has kept me from those storms and kept you from them too. But it's easy to have faith, isn't it, at those times when, well, it seems like he's stilling the storms. Shall I tell you when it's hard to have what the plight of a storm is? You're praying and you're praying and you're praying. And the waves are getting higher and higher and higher. Have you been there? Of course you have. You see, we buy into this idea that if God really was with us, there would be no storm. Our lives would be carefree. Does anybody want a carefree life? Of course we do. We think it'd be smooth and easy, don't we? We think that if God is with us, we wouldn't have to face the crushing reality of peer pressure that comes at us through a million and one places. And you know the word pressure, that means a squeeze. So if you feel pressured by this world to be something or to fend off the attack from a snarl or a judgmental comment, that's peer pressure. Maybe if God was there, that one wouldn't be there. What about the crushing fear of failure? You know, some of you in this room have to battle daily to not give up trying 
because you fa- failed so many times, you just think one more time and I might totally go under. To try to be gracious in that conversation, to try to start a new thing even though it's better, to try and stop taking that. Think to yourself, hold on, I thought, I thought if God was real, there wouldn't actually be that storm. Sometimes he feels distant, you know. About fear of death, statistically for some of you, it's closer than for others of us. But we're in no control of that. Perhaps you're really worried about that. You'd be human for being like that. About health scares. You suddenly get called in for that scan. Is this the stuff that normal people face? Of course it is. That's what we do. And in those moments, he can feel distant and absence. Please don't take the presence of the storm as a sign of his absence. Have you ever done that? Do you need to be speaking to him now, right now? I don't know whether you've got into that habit of praying during the sermon. That's a good thing, you know. Do it out loud if you like, and we join in with an amen. Don't do it too much, because that'll freak us out a little bit. Okay, we are British. We're not quite Pentecostal yet, but I'm working on it. Okay, Um, but be praying as you're hearing these things, and as you hear things that resonate and connect. Have you been tempted to believe that God was absent? Now, the disciples are not in a good place there. All they see is Jesus asleep in the boat. So let me ask you something. Have you ever, oh sorry, well, no, 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 let me slow down. Let me ask this. What is it that he saw and he knew that meant he could sleep? His intention was clear, it's to sleep. He got a cushion. So next week, Matty or Kosh might be tempted to bring in to church a cushion. If they do, it's pretty plain and obvious what they intend to do with it. It's to sleep. Gosh, sit up straight, you slovenly slob, will you? Just sit up. Sit up, will you, okay? Sit up. What is it that they know that would mean they'd bring their cushion with them? It's probably that Steve's sermon's going to go on a bit. (laughs) What is it that Jesus knew that meant he bought a cushion and was asleep in the boat? What was it that he saw that they didn't see? You see, fear and circumstance will demand an interpretation, and we will do that, won't we? We will, we, will, we will sense a threat coming against us, something that is too big, too big to overcome. And what we will do is we will interpret it, and we will interpret it on the basis of our potential to handle it, cope with it, and to get through it. And the more that our, interpre- our interpretation of the situation or circumstance is bleak, the higher the level of our fear the thing we need to ask ourselves is to slow down and do it honestly and say, does Jesus see it the same way? Because here there's a big disconnect. The disciples are seeing this situation one way. He's seeing it another way. Who's right? And have you noticed what they want to do with him here? What do they do? Don't you care if we drown? They want to drag him into their understanding of the situation. As far as we can see it, Lord Jesus, it means the only appropriate response is meltdown. And they even start to accuse him of not caring. Have you ever tried to drag somebody into your narrative? It happens in our house every morning. Can I talk about you? Can I preach it? Becky is scared stupid of being late. Because bad things happen 
when she's late. She's not even quite sure what they are, but she knows that they're bad. And so as she gets up, no matter how much she tries, she tries to be gracious, she tries to be patient, and it starts that way when she's got to get her sisters on the bus and take them to dancing on the Saturday morning. She's like, okay, girls, time to get up. Come on, that's it. Left sock, right sock, shoe, jumper. Okay, stop poking each other in the eye. Brilliant. Pick up your dance bags, take them down. Good, we're going to start eating our bread. No, eat it, don't wear it. Good. And the temperature starts to build as she feels the threat coming along. And then she starts to get a bit more cranky and a bit more thingy. And then she starts to stamp. And then I say, Becky, calm down. And she looks at me. Don't you care if we're late? And you lot are laughing because you do it too. You want to drag somebody into your narrative of fear. You want to say, I see with perfect vision and I know with absolute authority. Don't you care if we drown? Have you taken responsibility for how much of you is in your fear? It's hard to do that, isn't it? That's why in the Bible, there's something like 350, actually, no, 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 that was it, I read it this way, 365, one for each day, 365 occasions in the Bible where it says, do not fear. Don't know what you do on a leap year. Don't know what you do with that. 365 times. And that's because the Lord is really gracious with us because he knows that we feel the threats from this world. And he wants to whisper in our ear, do not fear. So, Becky, next Saturday morning, he's got a word for you. What is it? That's it, girl. Do not fear. Because he knows. But he is, he's not going to be dragged into your narrative. Hallelujah. He's not going to be dragged into your narrative. Why won't he be dragged into our narrative? Because he, he doesn't care if I drag. No. He wants to give you a new narrative. He wants to give you a new story. What do you think they would be doing in the storm if they knew what he knew? Think about it for a second. Just rerun it. You know, what we've, where we've got up to in the story. Imagine what the disciples would be doing at this point if they knew what Jesus knew and saw what Jesus saw. Now, you guys know the end of the story because we had it as a kid's story. Like, you know the end. Just think for a second. Shout it out. What would they be doing in the middle of the storm as it looks like they're going down if they knew what he knew? Come on. What would they be doing? Water skiing. They'd be like, I'm just going to ride this one out, baby. Woo! Wouldn't they? Now, listen, I don't want to be flippant with some of the things that you face. I'm not going to be flippant with them. But I think if we're prepared to doubt our fears, we might move. And this is, can I tell you, this is high level stuff. So if you want to grow, this is the bit you need to tune into. If we want to grow in the midst of our storms, we need to be open to the possibility of taking those storms out for a ride. I was shocked and appalled and amazed and humbled when I saw that John Piper book that came out a few years ago. Do you remember the title? Don't Waste Your Cancer. Who speaks like that? I'll tell you who speaks like that. Somebody who knows that Jesus rules and reigns and even in the midst of the storm can be doing wonderful things. That 
doesn't mean we don't grieve. That doesn't mean we're not sad. But it transforms the way we think about the storms. Do you see that? Wow, that's next level stuff, isn't it? What is it that he knows? Well, listen, let's get to it. Let's look at the power over the storm. Somebody read the next bit, please. Somebody read the next bit. Brilliant. Stop there. Now, have you picked up that this is an eyewitness account? Have you picked up all the details that go through? This doesn't read like myth or legend, so please don't take it as this. The claim of this, it's almost stupid. I feel publicly embarrassed standing up in front of a community of people and saying that this would actually happen. Because you know how, how outrageous this is. How stupid. He stands up and the claim of the Bible is, please don't miss this, this is not a fairy tale. This is not claiming to be some sort of uh, allegory for your life. This is a claim that in real space-time history, a guy stood up and did something that nobody had ever done before and will never ever do again. A guy stood up, commanded the winds and the waves, commanded the elements, commanded nature, and they listened. Now you know how stupid that is, because you've tried it, haven't you? I mean, we see this. This is, the, this is the week by week running of the gauntlet to try and command anything when you come to church with preschool kids. And we know what it's like. And that's why it's hard, so hard for many of you to focus in the first half, is it? Because you just don't know what your crazy kids are doing. And you wished you had the level of power over them to be able to say, quiet, be still. And there they're going, you know, they're laughing in your face. Even the high-grade parents struggle. And they've been highly skilled at being able to give that look that says, you best shut up now or I just, you, are you going to... And even then, as they're saying it like that, they're, they're like, oh dear, I hope this goes the right way. Because it's in question. To command a toddler is hard for us. To get peace and quiet in our house. Girls, you three, look at this. How hard have I been working in this last 24-hour period to try and get some peace and quiet and calm in our house? My ha- Woo! How many times? I can't do it. I mean, you, it's unthinkable that you'd shout at the weather. You know this. You've been on a beach holiday. You've stood on the shore. And when you see the re- winds raising up and your kids are out there paddling, who do you shout at? You shout at the kids. Get out the way of the wind and the waves. You don't do the other way around, do you? You don't shout at the wind and the waves because you know that ain't going to work. You don't own the wind and the waves. And the Jews knew this too. The Jewish In the Jewish tradition, there was um, confidence and belief that there were sometimes people who could do, uh, be appointed as those who could heal or do something that was miraculous. But there's reports in the 2nd and 3rd century of, of people, prophets, coming along and saying, well, I can heal, and them going, yeah, okay. And then those same prophets would go, and I can calm the weather, and they go, you're a blasphemer. Because they knew that control over the elements, the natural world, lay in one set of hands and one set of hands only. The true and living God. And Jesus stands up in the presence of these petrified guys on this boat that is slopping around. And I'd have loved to have seen the look on his face. I don't know whether he put his hands in his pockets and was nonchalant. I don't know whether he cast them a little glance beforehand. I don't know whether just calmly and serenely with a smile on his face he said... Quiet, be still. But that's what he stood up and did. And it was. 
say, oh, well, you know, suddenly winds can drop. Yeah, they can. But it went quiet and still. Waves. Anybody who's near been, uh, been near the sea knows that waves will slosh around and be attacking you for days afterwards. Suddenly, it went like a mill pond. And they're whining, they're screaming, and they're shouting, and suddenly, whoosh, it was like a totally new scene. Awkward. And they look at him, and he looks back at them. And he says to his disciples, why so afraid? Good question, isn't it? Somebody keep reading, keep reading, keep reading. Go for us, Nath. Just read a little bit more. That's it. Brilliant. So he rebukes the wind like a rowdy toddler, like he owns the rowdy toddler. It listens, and that's why they're so afraid. Can I tell you, there is only one thing more scary than being in the midst of a storm, in a boat, in the midst of a storm, and it going mental. It is this. It's being in the midst of the storm, in a boat, with a guy who can stand up and say to the storm, shut up, be still. And they are scared stupid because they knew Psalm 86 verses 8 and 9 and this is what it says. O Lord God Almighty, who is like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the seas and the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Who is this? There's no incantation. There's no spell. There's no calling on a higher name. He just stands up. There is no expelliarmus or whatever it is Harry Potter says. There's none of that. He just commands what he owns. Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? The awe and the terror. It, they were scared before. Now they are petrified. I am in the pre- presence of one who is altogether other. Now, please, can I tell you the cash value of this? Please listen. Okay. What does this mean? And we've got a massive problem. Jane alluded to it really helpfully earlier, didn't we? But we have this, we just struggle with a monumental difficulty to show respect to people for whom respect is due. So sometimes we're too buddy-buddy with the Lord Jesus and we can sing with a sense of intimacy, but we forget that he is awesome. He is awesome. Let me tell you what it means. It eliminates this story, any possibility of you guys sitting there and listening to this sermon and going, well, I might take it or I might leave it or I'll decide whether or not it connects to me. He's not giving you that option. If he is the one who stands up and commands all of the world, you don't get that option. He is telling you the way that it is. He is the king and there is no other. And that is the radical claim of the Christian faith. The total exclusivity and might and presence of the Lord Jesus over all things. And if we were Pentecostals, we'd have got an? And amen. We got a nod. We'd have got a mm mm-hmm. We'd have got a hello. Because this changes everything. Mark's point is clear. The winds obey Jesus. The words, obey, uh, sorry, the winds obey Jesus. The waves obey Jesus. Why don't you obey Jesus? Can you handle that? So here he's taking them on a journey to know him. And always we're underestimating him. And they underestimated him. 
What should you be more scared of right now? What is swamping you? It feels like it is the thing that should be scared, you should be most fearful of, doesn't it? I tell you, the only thing to drive out your fear of whether it is being late, whether it's peer pressure, whether it's prospects of how things are going in the family, whether it's financial, whether it's health. The only way to drive out your fear of those things is to have a greater fear. And your greater fear must be the Lord Jesus. Do you remember when the psalmist says, You, O Lord our God, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And that's the way we're to walk. That's the way we're to walk. I'm really thankful to a whole stack of you who, um, when I went over to Texas and, you know, I was a little bit nervous, a little bit fearful about going and doing that preach over in Texas a few weeks ago. And, I, and I'd explain it to you and I'd, say, and I'd talk to you about why I was a bit worried about letting people down. And I was also worried about what people would think of me. And I was also worried about my own illusions as to, to who I am and the, uh, my gifting being shattered and all that kind of thing. And you lot were great with me. You lot would pray for me and you'd chat to me and I'd I'd tell you my nervousness and you'd say, don't worry, the Lord Jesus is bigger. He'll be with you. You'll be fine. And in that moment, there was a wrestling going on and you know that wrestling, don't you? I know what they said is true, but do I want to live in it? Or do I want to live in my own fears? Where do I want to live today? So to some of us, can I tell you, there is no promise here of a removal of the storm. What there is, is a promise that he will get you to the other side. And that's what it says in verse, chapter 5, verse 1 there. He says at the start, chapter 4, verse 35, let's go over to the other side. And it's, it's, it's a little bit veiled in this translation, but it's an echo of that in the original to say, and they arrived at the other side. A point will come. Basically, where the Lord Jesus, in your life, in your circumstances, and with your sins, a point will come where the Lord will stand up and either he will look at you, or let's take it the other way around, he will look at your circumstances and he will say, quiet, be still. He will change that, and that's what you pray for. Or he will turn up, stand up, turn and look at you and say, quiet, be still, I'm with you. And a day is coming when this storm will end, but it's not yet. And I am with you, so I'm with you. I will get you to the other side, even if that will be on that absolute last great day. Let me ask you, what's he saying to you today? Is he saying, I'm going to calm your storm? Or is he saying, I'm going to be with you in the storm? Which one's he saying? Of course, some of you are in a different place. Some of you are saying, hold on, Steve, I appreciate what you're saying. And many people might need to hear it, but I'm probably not one of them. So I don't think I'm sinking at all. I don't think I'm swamped. I think life's going fine. Thank you very much. I think I'm able to wrestle life to the ground and I'm handling stuff. Yeah, a few things could be better. But generally speaking, I'm okay with all of this. Can I say hallelujah? Can I say I hope it lasts, but I doubt it will? But could I say something more important than that? You need to look again at this story because this storm is a picture of something, not just of problems in our circumstances, but of something that every story of every human being will have as its ending. This is a picture of a day when God will judge all that is wrong. And that is a storm of wrath against our evil that is in us. We're not the people we could be, should be or ought to be. Yes, we're not as bad as we could be, but we have all shaken the fist at that same God who speaks over the storm. We've said, I'm going to take your world and I'm going to try and be God in it. Thank you very much. And there is a day coming when everybody will meet him and you don't want to meet him as your enemy. 
And Jesus is saying to you and me, I can calm that storm. I'm going to go into a storm. Look into the cross that we celebrate at Easter. I will go into a storm to carry the full storm. I will be plunged into it, carry the full weight of all of your sin upon myself. It will get visited on me so it doesn't have to be visited on you. You need me for that storm. So even if everything's going swimmingly well, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. So we've seen the power of the storm, we've seen the plight in the storm, we've seen the power over the storm. Let's very quickly finish up with this, the purpose in the storm. Somebody go back and read for us, if you will, from verse, we've had it already, let's see it again, verse 40. Somebody read verse 40 and verse 41. Somebody who hasn't read yet, please. Thanks, mate. Good on you. Okay. So here's the thing about the storm. Did the storm create faithlessness on the part of the disciples? Did it create faithlessness? Not a trick question. No. It was already there. So what did it do? Emphasized it. Spot on. Revealed it. The circumstance and situation exposed that gaping need of them to decide whether or not they were going to measure and direct their life by their own potential or whether they were going to dare to receive the invitation of the Lord Jesus to press into him. That's the purpose in the storm. Steve, why do I feel like I'm sinking most days? Why do it feel like I'm swamped? Because what you want, and I was talking to a church yesterday morning about this, over in Manchester chatting, they asked me to come and talk about this. Because what, and we've said it before, what you and I want is that silver bullet from this Bible that will mean I can sail serenely through all of my circumstances. Not in this fallen world. Sorry to speak reality to you. That ain't going to happen. In fact, the Bible tells us the reality of life is that we will be going from one storm to another swamping to a near drowning again and again and again. And the question is, where will we turn to for help and grace? Our own resources or his? The purpose of this storm, this is why Jesus gets us to talk about it, is to reveal a deficit in our faith so that we can choose to cry out to him once again. There may be things he wants to do in you. We say that really gently. He wants you to know his comfort. He wants you to know his sustaining power. He wants you to lay down things that you have laid hold of too tightly and are throttling you. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to grow in that faith. What is the one thing that the disciples did right in that boat? The one thing. They did it wrongly, but they did it right. They went to Jesus. And this is what is so amazing about grace. That they could go to Jesus and they did it wrong, but because of grace, it was enough. You don't have to get it right to go to Jesus. Hallelujah. Takes you as you are and says, I'll get you through to the other side. I will get you through to the other side so we've talked about the storm today and he makes a promise and I wonder what's been most important to you
is that you've needed to reevaluate and see actually I, I just Lord have this tendency within me to see the scale of my sin and the struggles of my circumstance to see them to know them to feel them and I get just go freak out and I feel swamped and I forget to see you and know you please Lord would you do that rebalancing in me Lord, I know it's not going to be a one-off thing. It's going to be a daily thing. It's going to be, I've got to keep leaning back into you and getting this right. Lord, I want to see, I want to, I want to go on that journey. I want you to get me to the other side. I want to say thank you, Lord, that you will get me there. And even if you don't say, shh, be quiet to my storms and whatever's sinking me right now, I'll be okay because you're with me and you do care. You are the king. And I want to have reverence and awe for you. Not those other things that demands falsely my attention. I just want to walk and live in the reality that all of your promises are yes and amen. Here's the thing about a promise. You have to make them when the outcome is possibly in doubt. Okay? Jane doesn't need to promise me that she will be cross if I leave my socks on the floor. Because that outcome is never in doubt. I leave them socks. She's going to kill me. But she has to make me a promise that even if I fail, she'll stick with me. Because there's a possibility that could be in doubt. And so she promises me and she invites me to respond to her promises. Jesus is doing the same with his word to us today. Do you get that? Do you get that? Will you say, as we sing, all his promises are yes and? Not as Frank thought initially, yesterday's men. (laughs) Okay? All his promises are yes and amen. Can I get an amen from you people? Let's stand and sing. Please be seated. Were you praying as you went along? Were you praying as you engaged with God's word? Let's do that again now. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we want to do business with you and we thank you that you've given us your precious word to show us who Jesus is. Lord, we first of all start with asking your forgiveness. Forgive us, Lord, that in our frailty and sometimes in our stubbornness, We don't want to let you rule and reign over all our circumstances, to deal with all of our sin, to give us the assurance of judgment dealt with for our future. Lord, forgive us that we try to cope with things in our own way. And Lord, would you please, by your word and in the power of your spirit, help us to see you, the one who speaks that word, the one who does what no one else can do. Would you help us to lean into you? Would you help us to have that right awe and reverence before you? And we just praise you that knowing the worst about us, you are present with us. You're so gracious. Lord, that grace that took you to the cross to bear our sin and guilt and shame. That willingness to say, I'll go into a storm so that you will come out of all your storms. So we praise you, Lord. We praise you. 
We want you to receive all the glory. We want to be a community of people who walks well with one another, offering out this hope and promise. Lord, give us a heart and compassion to those who are beyond our church family, who don't yet know this wonderful news. Help us to be busy reaching out, offering this same truth, telling the story of the one who, who calms the storm with the word, who has all authority, who one day we will all meet. Bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.